0: Listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is David Siegel. David has made a career of diving deep into the tea leaves. Not the kind that tell you the future, but the kind you use to build brands and businesses. He is best known as the David of David's Tea, co-founding the brand and taking David's Tea from a boutique business selling blended loose leaf teas all the way to a publicly traded company with stores across North America. After David exited David's Tea in 2016, he continued to flex his entrepreneurial muscles and today is involved with two equally innovative brands, Firebelly Tea and the Mad Radish chain of gourmet fast food restaurants.
1: Welcome, David, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Andrew, pleasure to be here. I'm in Ottawa and I'm excited to be talking to you.
0: How is your summer going? Have you had a chance to travel post-pandemic?
1: Uh, yeah, it's been a really good summer, traveling a bit, uh, spending some time with the kids, and uh, just enjoying myself. and working hard at uh, these new businesses I have.
0: That's great. I, if I may ask about your family, who is the family unit? Do you have anyone gearing up for school?
1: I have three gearing up for school, yeah.
0: So pretty soon you'll get the internet back to yourself.
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. We had, to, we had to upgrade it during the pandemic.
0: And are you currently working from home or from an office, and how's that transitioned
1: in? Uh, both. I'm excited to go back to an office. I, I've, I, you know, I do work. I have a home setup, of course. Um, but I miss people. I, I, I like the, I, I like the office. I like getting up in the morning, and it's, it's like the hero's journey. You know, you, you go off to this other place where you, where you put your head down and and keep grinding away at what you're trying to build and create, and then at the end of the day, you have some separation between. Uh, work in and home.
0: And do you have a staff? Are people coming back to the office? What's been your policy for for? uh
1: I do have a team, and and um, you know, we're we like to get together in person. I mean, I I uh, as much as possible want would like to get people back in, and of course maintain some flexibility. I mean, if if. uh, you know, you have someone come into the house and you got to be there for an appointment. It's, it's not a problem. I mean, I think what the pandemic has illustrated is that it's possible to work from many different places. Um, that doesn't mean it's optimal to always work from different places.
0: Seems like we've all learned there's a nice balance, as you kind of allude to. And, right. and it's been uh, maybe that's one bit of silver lining of the whole pandemic. We've seen as many ways to work. Let's please... Go all the way back and get the David Siegel story. Where were you born? Tell us about your upbringing.
1: Sure, I was born in Ottawa. Um, my father's a psychologist. My mom's an artist. And I was an entrepreneur from my first breath. Um, love business. You know, had jobs at very young ages. I delivered. I'll probably date myself here, but I delivered this the penny saver where you had to put the the flyers inside and it would come on Sundays. My older brother is my first employee, and he'd help me deliver it, and I'd pay him, you know, a portion of, of my pay. Uh, so I did paper routes. I had my first job at 14 at Wendy's. I was the fry guy. Uh, and then I started selling running shoes around, um, you know, 15, 16 at a, at a place called Athletes World, which um, used to be owned by Bata Shoes, which is n- no longer around. But it's, for younger listeners, it's kind of like a footlocker. Uh, and I loved it. I got paid commission and at the time was, was making really good money. And, and, um, I, I really loved working. Uh, I started my first business at 18. I partnered with St. John's ambulance. We were selling first aid kits door to door. uh, and I had a whole team and staff, some of summer students helping me do that. Um, yeah. And, and I, you know, I ended up going to McGill in Montreal and, uh, studying commerce and English lit. I uh, met my wife there and when I left I started a business in the software industry that didn't work called fitting room central we captured what people try on at the fitting room and the idea remember I worked in clothing stores and shoe stores and I understood retail and retails a great training ground because you understand why people exchange money for goods you're there at the moment of the transaction um, And I realized that when you buy clothing, you actually do it in two steps. First, you evaluate the look of the item on the rack, and then you evaluate the fit of the item on your body. Uh, And of course, in the buying departments of these clothing stores, they're only evaluating whether an item was good or not based off the sales. Did it sell or did it not sell? So they'll test it in a small subset of stores, and then they'll determine whether they roll it out to all stores, buy more of it, if it sells or not. But in reality you want a little bit more information than that you want to know you know did they like the look of of the item did they not like the fit like what was it about the item they didn't like which can inform other design uh uh, moves or buying decisions so we tracked what people were taking into the fitting room and i had i created an algorithm to compare that same transaction if it got to the cash so we could tell you for every item how many times it was tried on and how many times it converted um, and it was a really it was an interesting idea, uh, you know. And we got it into Macy's at Thirty Fourth and Seventh in in New York. Um, and I would write these handwritten letters to all these CEOs. I mean, I pitched this to every boardroom across North America. Uh, and at the end, it 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 didn't pan out. I I think that um, it was a complicated software that needed to integrate with uh, with different systems, inventory systems, POS systems, uh, and it was a long sales process. And uh, it just didn't didn't. It ended up being a nice to have, not a must have. Uh, and I think years later, you know, these metrics are, are mission critical in e commerce when you look at it, right? Traffic and conversion. Um, but but uh, I had to move on, and and I did, and so I, I needed a job at that moment and i went to hold on
0: david i'm going to stop you there i want to jump in on that i I think it's more than interesting you were so ahead of the curve as you talk about to to be able to track the conversion of what people were taking into a fitting room and what why they didn't purchase it or why they did i think today so many people are buying clothes over the internet with no chance to try it on it's it's correct opposite of what you were doing although what you were doing you were ahead of the time at that time
1: Yeah, I mean, I I kept, every time I would pitch it, I'd hear the word interesting. And, and I realized interesting is a, is a terrible, is a great word in a classroom, right? But it's a horrible word in business. You know, in business, you want to hear how fast can you deliver? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. where do I send my order? Things like that. Um, and, and and for a variety, I think it's software that, at that time, at least, I mean, this is 2005, you yeah. know, this type of systems that are really doing well were systems where you get a really clear return on investment I mean this was information that you had to do something with Um, and and it was interesting the buyers kept being like well we can justify because it'll help us reduce the theft in the fitting room but that wasn't really I think where the main value proposition was but that's the only way there had to be this clear link I mean you know Airline check-in systems; those have a clear return. You put them in, you can cut your labor by X. This, it's information that will help you get better and give you an edge. But I, I just think at the end it wasn't enough to make it a priority. Uh, and I learned a valuable lesson. Um, you know, I, uh, leaving that business, I decided I didn't want in a business. I didn't want to be in a business where I had a handful of customers. I wanted to be in a business where I had lots and lots and lots of customers, uh, yeah. and lots of small transactions. Um, you know, what I like about tea is that it's an affordable luxury. You know, for $20, you can get a box of tea with Firebelly that makes you, you know, 25, 30 cups, 75 cents a cup. You don't have to go ask your spouse. You don't have to go ask your parents. You don't have to go ask your friend. You know, you don't have to ask anybody. There's no nobody you need to consult on the purchase. Um, and, and I like that. It's, you know, when you're selling software, at least at that time, you got to sell the marketing department, the finance team, the IT team. I mean, it's meeting after meeting after meeting and you kept, you keep thinking it's going to go somewhere. And of course they're not in a rush. There's no urgency on their end. Uh, and you got to pay the bills. So it just wasn't, it, it wasn't a good fit for, for me, my personality. Um, I like to create and evolve and, um, uh, and I just, I, I gravitated more towards consumer products and, and brands.
0: So let's jump right into that, David, your passion for tea. I'm not going to do my impression, but I can hear the words of Jerry Seinfeld. What's the deal with tea? <laughs> tea is the second biggest drink in the world, next to water. But you believe North America is a little bit late to the party, and we are missing out. David Siegel, why should we love tea, and why should we drink what you call the good
1: stuff? I mean, it's tea is, is, is a timeless thing. It's been around. It's as old as the hills. Green tea in particular is drank by centurions across the world, people who live to 100, uh, and in these areas called the blue zones where you have the the longest living people. Green tea has been studied extensively. It has tons of health benefits. Um, And it's just delicious. In North America, most people drink the equivalent in tea of box of wine. So imagine buying box of wine on a Friday night and being like, I don't like wine. Well, you're not drinking great wine. I mean, wine's incredible. It's the same with tea. It is so good. Um, it, it reminds me of, of even in the, in the liquor space or in the coffee space, you know, we started with drip coffee, uh, then we moved on to Starbucks and we moved on to these second and third wave coffee shops and really incredible coffee. And you can taste the difference. Same with tequila. When, when I was young, tequila was something you had to lick your hand with salt and then suck on a lemon after just to slam it back. Right. Mm -hmm, And now, I mean, you have all these incredible tequilas on the market that are, are just outstanding. You're seeing it happen with sake. You saw it happen with beer. And I think with tea, there's just just still this enormous opportunity. I mean, these times call for tea, The, the coffee culture of juice yourself up on, on the, on coffee and the get the jitters and have stomach issues and sleep problems you don't get that with tea in the same way I mean tea has caffeine but it releases in your bloodstream differently and you don't get the big spike and then the crash uh, you get much more of a sustained energy um, and plus you have herbal teas which you can drink in the evening that are entirely caffeine free so tea is great in the afternoon to, to energize and focus in and the evenings to rest and digest And, and I also think that in North America, we've kind of pitted tea and coffee against each other. You know, even our, our servers at restaurants come to us and like, would you like tea or coffee? Well, it doesn't have to be an either or. I mean, keep your morning coffee. I get it. It's a drug. You don't want to switch, but you don't need four cups of coffee in a day. Like switch to tea in the afternoon, get a great green tea, um, or, or herbal teas in the evening. And what we're trying to do with Firebelly is very different than all other tea companies. Um, we're really trying to help people elevate their tea game. So we're selling loose leaf tea. So for starters, there's four reasons to drink loose leaf tea. For one, it's actually less expensive. Uh, you end up, it's around 75 cents a cup and you're getting, it's like drinking the Opus One of wine in tea for 75 cents a cup. The second thing is it's, re- it's much better for the environment. Um, you know, with Firebelly, we're not using any of the flavorings that are pervasive in most tea companies. So if you pick up a tea package You'll notice the words natural flavor, artificial flavor, flavorings, flavor, essence. There's all kinds of different ways of saying it, but it's all the same thing. It's the only difference is whether the chemical originated in nature or not. Then it goes into a lab, and then they add a bunch of preservatives and solvents to it that they don't have to list as ingredients on the package, and it all gets summed up as natural flavor, flavorings, artificial flavor, and that's what gives you the flavor of peach or watermelon or whatever. We're not using any of that stuff with Firebelly. We're just using really high quality ingredients and the oils from those ingredients. So high quality ginger, really high quality, real Madagascar vanilla, uh, turmeric, licorice root, things like that in our blends. And then of course, we're doing some of the more traditional single origin teas. Um, and, and it makes a big difference. The taste you get out of it is not a punch in the face of peach necessarily. But it's this beautiful, incredible flavor that, that lingers and, and it's just amazing to drink every single day. Um, the other reasons to drink loose leaf tea uh, are that it's an incredible ritual. Um, wonderful, wonderful ritual. And, and it's it's much higher quality product than what you're going to get in a tea bag. So we're, we're trying to get people into the good stuff with Firebelly. And I love doing that. I mean, I collect tea like people collect wine, and mm-hmm. and it's my passion, and I love it. And I love creating incredible accessories that go with the tea from scratch and designing them. Whether it's amazing travel mugs that help you stop the infusion and make hot, nice tea really easily, or infusers that have holding cups to make sure you don't end up with a puddle of water on your desk. And so this is, I you know, I I love it. I think tea is this this remarkable product that's not only good for our health but tastes amazing. Reminds us to slow down. Um, uh, I just think it's good for our constitution.
0: Well, you're clearly passionate about tea. You made a great point. It can be a compliment to coffee. It doesn't have to replace it. Let's go back to 2008 in Montreal. What was the David's Tea concept, and how did this venture come about?
1: Well, so I, I, when I left the software thing, I needed a job. And so I ended up approaching a, a cousin of mine, my my dad's first cousin, um, and he was the founder of Le Chateau and he was looking to step back from Le Chateau and and invest in companies and so he hired me for a nominal salary I was going to run around and, and help him look for companies and um, I was in a, a tea store at that time tea stores were usually off the beaten path typically very Asian or British inspired uh, you walked in, you felt like you had to whisper, right? Like it was, it was, you had to know something to go in about tea to go into them. It was a very intimidating experience, but, but fantastic at the same time, if you're willing to invest in getting into it. Uh, and I was going to a, a, a film with, with my wife and across the street, there was this tea shop. We walked, we were early to the film and we walked in and at the same time, remember I'm in supposed to be in private equity. So I didn't know anything about private equity, so I bought a book. I bought Warren Buffett's book on what he looks for in investments. And um, and I always liked teas as a kid at, at university. I drank chamomile. I drank mint like everybody else. and um, So I, I walked into this tea store and I was blown away at, 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 at just the entire experience around it. And I, I started to put two and two together. You know, it's, it's not only is it a fun product, but it's nobody's doing it in a fun way on the main streets. There is no tea brand that is is captivating people's imaginations in, in North America uh, and and the, the economics of the business made sense to me I mean coming from shoes and clothing you know there's no size and color in tea right so there's far yeah. less assortment to manage you can operate out of small spaces it's not like TV sets and it doesn't go bad like a turkey sandwich in the same way so um, it made sense to me and I walked in the next day to work and I'm like we should invest in tea and we look for a couple to invest in. We talked to a few small T players, and I got more and more excited about the business. And finally, I don't even remember if if my cousin turned to me or I turned to him, but it was like I was going to do it, and he was going to back me. and And we made a deal, and away we went. And I was the energy and the youth, and and he was the experience and the money. and uh, And it worked. We 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 made it work together. And and the way I like to describe the partnership is, you know without him, I'd probably have 10, 15 stores right now. And, and without me, he'd have zero. So it, it was, it was this really good partnership. Um, and yeah, we worked on the brand and we got some great brand, branding people in and, uh, we looked for a name. We couldn't find one. Finally, we said, we'll just call it Dave's tea. And I was like, no, I don't want to be Paul Newman on the salad dressing bottle. <laughs> yeah. And the next morning I, uh, it was actually my cousin who came in and said, no, 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 you, you want to have a beer with Dave. You want to have a tea with David. Uh Um, so I used to be Dave long before I became David. Um, and, and yeah, that's really the story. And we opened our first store on Queen street in Toronto beside the Rivoli. And the first day, you know, the ladders were in the windows. We hadn't even finished the build out. And we, I think it was my partner's wife who said, open the doors. And we did. And, and people started coming in and we were just selling them tea and engaging their senses. And you got to remember tea at that time was this it was a grocery store experience, right? You, you decided what you want. It was very commoditized. You know, there were six brands of Earl Grey, six brands of mint, six brands of chamomile, and you decided what you wanted based off the picture on the box and a price point. Um, and, and so here we were with these flavors people hadn't seen. Um, and, and they were smelling tea in the tins and engaging their senses and, uh, and it became really fun and I think David's Tea did a really good job introducing people to uh, how much fun tea can be um, and we grew it from there it's been said
0: that you brought radical innovation to a 5,000 year old product category it sounds like this innovation was kind of the experience of buying tea would you say
1: that I think it was I think that retail experience really is what drove David's Tea's success Um, and, and, um, you know, I think people really like coming in and smelling tea, uh, at its core and, and, and it was very colorful and, and over time, as we evolved the assortment, it, it sort of became like the bath and body works of tea. Um, uh, and with Firebelly, we're trying to do something different. We're trying to be where you go when you graduate from David's tea, uh, much more sophisticated look and feel to the brand. Uh, again, none of the flavorings in any of our teas. Uh, And we're just trying to sort of take it up a notch.
0: When you managed the growth of David's Tea, so your cousin was Herschel Siegel, you had this store on Queen Street. How did you go from that one store to eventually going public on NASDAQ? Uh,
1: I mean, we went from, we opened Queen Street, then we opened Mount Royal Street in Montreal. And then we opened two others, Bloor West Village and Young and Eglinton. And we had four stores. And I remember... Uh, being um, I was getting married in the summer uh, my wife's Portuguese so we were in Portugal and I remember looking at the sales and I was nervous like it was not going well um, sales were way down um, and then they came back up in the fall I mean it took you know it was I like to say it was a 10-year overnight success right <laughs> um, we but then it started to catch on and then we went from seven we opened 30 stores in a year we went from, from like 9 to 40 stores. And then it really started to go. And then we were opening 30 stores a year for a while. Um, and, and it really started to move after that. Uh, and we started to get scale. And, and we opened, I mean, by the time I left, we were at $200 million in sales, 200 stores. Um, we had partnered with a really strong U.S. private equity firm. And, uh, and the company was, was a really successful company.
0: What made you, even at the beginning, that struck me as, uh, I'm not going to use the word odd, but your first store is on Queen Street. Why would your second store be in Montreal? Shouldn't your second store have been five blocks away from the Queen Street store? And well, we had that, I mean, I, we were
1: I was in Montreal at the time. We were Our, our head office was in Montreal. Okay. Um, but we ended up, we very quickly opened two more in Toronto. So we had three in Toronto, one in Montreal. And then we started opening more in Montreal. Um, we opened Carrefour Laval and, and, and um, uh, Point Claire. And, and uh, we kept growing it from there. But yeah, Toronto, and Montreal were our first two cities. And of course, the natural places to put this in Canada.
0: As you mentioned, you grew the company from a single store on Toronto's Queen Street West to a $200 million retail giant. At one point, the company was seventh on the list of Canada's most trusted brands. In 2013, none other than Oprah. Oprah Winfrey surprised your company by promoting your brand in the live show and in her magazine. Was this truly a surprise or how did this come yeah that's
1: a great story it was actually uh, uh, somebody who who worked at the company who managed uh, events and did a lot of work on PR um, who who ran one of our teams there who got knew one of the concierges at Oprah at the hotel Oprah was staying at and managed to get a package of tea in her room and um, yeah and then Oprah Oprah freaked out about it and loved it and I was supposed to meet her the next day, but, uh, at our St. Vieter store. Um, but there was a massive snowstorm that day. Uh, and, and so she didn't end up making it, but she did t- talk us up at, at her Montreal, uh, show. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. It was, when
0: Oprah speaks, everyone listens.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was a localized show. The, the, the pop in sales were in Montreal, uh, unfortunately not across the U.S. at the time where we had stores and, and in Canada, but it was still obviously a, an enormous compliment.
0: David, the company growth culminated in June 2015 with David's Tea becoming a publicly traded company on the NASDAQ stock exchange, the symbol being DTEA, David's Tea please describe the experience of going public. Was this something you had, I guess you you didn't have any experience in this, did you? It must've been kind
1: of overwhelming. No, it's, it's, it's incredible. I I mean, growing up, uh, in Ottawa and going all the way to New York and seeing the brand that you started from scratch, uh, all over Times Square in New York, um, was pretty cool. It was, it was a really cool experience. It absolutely was. And, and, um, uh, you know, I, I have a picture of it in my office that I often look over at uh, to remind myself, um, you know, just how much hard work can pay off.
0: And it sounds like you were actually at the stock exchange the day it went public.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, we all were. And, and the best part of that was walking out and seeing um, we had a little truck where we were selling, we were serving tea uh, outside of, of where we were going public. And all of uh, our employees were there and and early Some people there, I had been with me, you know, since day one when we had one, two stores and they were all there and, and we walk out and, and just being able to celebrate with them and, and, uh, you know, everybody was really excited and, and hugging and having a great time. And it was, it was a really, it was a wonderful celebration.
0: How gratifying.
1: Absolutely. Was this
0: always the, was this always the plan when you started? Was there a plan to go public?
1: No, I think, I think my, I credit uh, uh, my cousin, um, who's 50 years my senior and had seen a lot more than I had. Um, I had a healthy dose of, of, uh, of being naive, uh, heading into it. And he from day one was like, we're going to build a billion dollar company. Um, and I, I just, I was into tea. I mean, I started to fall in love with tea and I loved it. And one of the highlights for me was being able to travel to the tea estates and, and you know, go see some of the tea gardens and, and the culture there and, and what a privilege that was. Uh, and, and it's interesting now that I, I left David's Tea, I mean, more than five years ago, and I missed tea so much that, I mean, that's why I went back into it with Firebelly. I mean, I really love it. I mean, I discovered over the process of building David's Tea and, and beyond that, um, you know, I love business, of course, I love entrepreneurship, but I also really love tea. I'm into it. And, and I get excited showing people tea and, and getting them into it and, and you know, watching people experience how amazing this product is that has been part of humanity uh, for thousands of years.
0: We're going we're gonna to get right to Firebelly. And I do want to talk more about sure. the new businesses you're in. I do want to just go back and ask you, looking back at going public, was it the right move? Because obviously going public becomes a lot more scrutiny. When you look back, is that what you still would do or you would have gone a different way? Or how do you look back today on that?
1: Well, I mean, I, the, the, the makeup of the company wasn't one where we had a choice. I, I, at that point, was the third biggest shareholder. We had done a deal with a private equity group. I didn't control the company. Um, and um i think i think that in exit was the best move for all parties involved at that point um no i would not do it again uh, i think i think you know the partnerships i've set up since in Firebelly and and even in mad radish there's no need to uh, um and and certainly i don't think unless you need the money or or uh uh for the business to really grow um, I really don't see a reason to go public. The problem with going public is that you, you have to manage the public markets. And so now you're reporting quarterly and you're spending a lot of time on that and just changes how you, you approach the business. And, uh, I'm not sure that under different circumstances, I, I, I would, would want to do it.
0: In early 2016, you left the company. Why did you leave? Uh,
1: I mean, it's, it's not uncommon for founders to leave at a certain point. I think there were creative differences. Um, I wanted to go in a different direction and I think that direction becomes apparent with Firebelly. Um, uh, you know, I wish them well. I'm I'm really proud of what we built at David's Tea and and I'm I'm still friends to this day with many of the people that helped us build it uh and and poured their blood, sweat and tears into the company and and they have my my ultimate respect and and will always consider them uh, close friends and um many of them have moved moved on as well also. Uh, and I think this is just sometimes the natural progression of companies.
0: Roughly two years after exiting David's Tea, you co-founded Mad Radish, a six-location gourmet fast food chain with locations in Toronto and Ottawa. What is Mad Radish, and how did this concept come about for you?
1: Yeah, so Mad Radish when during David's Tea, uh, as we uh, we did our deal with our private equity group and we went into the U.S. market. We actually had a Boston office, and I ended up moving down to Boston uh, to work with the executive team down there. Um, and it was remarkable how many more options there were for healthy fast food that we just simply didn't have in Canada. So when I left David's team and moved back, I was like, wow, you know, we need more of this in Canada. So we've developed Mad Rash, we've since evolved it. Mad Rash is about big international flavors, um, it's, it's more hearty bowls, I would say. Uh, we do you know we ro- roast our chicken fresh every single day. we make our guacamole fresh in house, uh, we do roasted vegetables, cauliflower, roasted sweet potato, broccoli, like really nice flavors, maple chipotle and Asian flavors, whether it 's Thai flavors or, or Mexican flavors, south American flavors um, and and we 've grown that concept over five years. obviously, the pandemic w- was not kind to to restaurants, especially ones that service a primarily uh, uh, office lunch market but we've evolved our dinner menu we had a lot more warm options uh, we're actually now starting to franchise that concept I have two incredible partners on it um, one guy who came from Pre a manger in, in the US which is a very big restaurant company who's been outstanding and another one who is our uh, head of marketing at David's Tea who, who's with me from the start at David's Tea who's, who's just incredible and, and uh, just one of the best marketing minds out there uh, And and you know I'm really proud of what we're doing there. I think that Canada needs healthy options that actually taste great and make you crave healthy food. And, and eating healthy shouldn't be like taking your medicine. Um, yeah. So that's what Mad Radish is about. It's, it's just great food that, that's not just good for you, but makes you feel good uh, and leaves you satisfied. And it's not like a bowl of spinach where you're hungry again in two hours. Um, yeah. This stuff fills you up. It tastes great and it makes you feel great. You're not sluggish after you eat it. And we're looking to grow it now. Uh, we're looking to grow it through franchise partners. We've really spent the time the past five years making all the mistakes on our dime so that we can uh, perfect the model and, and be able to roll that out so that all Canadians can, can eat better and, and enjoy it.
0: So David's T, corporate model, corporately owned store, mad radish, you've moved as you talk, to this franchising model. Why did you choose to use the franchising model in this case?
1: Well, I think, I think with Tea, it's, it's very different with tea, the person behind the ca- the counter behind the cash can only really screw up the service. They can't screw up the product and they can't screw up your margins in the food business. You know, the person behind the counter can screw up the product, the service and your margins in well f- one fell swoop. So I think it's, I think you need someone in the store who, who has skin in the game, who's really a, a partner, who's an owner. Um, and I think that's where you get the best results. I mean, people, we pride ourselves at Mad Radish on consistency. I think that that is the most important thing. If you go in and you have our Piri Piri Chicken Bowl, for example, whether you have it on Bloor in Toronto or you have it on um, you know Bank Street in Ottawa, it needs to taste exactly the same every single time you get it. Uh, and, and that's hard to do. And that's something that we've brought that operational discipline to. And, and we feel that we'll be able to to really scale it better with, with people who uh and, and people who want to share in the success of the brand and help build the brand. Uh and and are gonna be on the ground ensuring that each and every customer gets that experience that, that we know is we can deliver with Mad Radish every single time, right? Um so I think I think they're very different businesses and, and I think one requires uh more oversight than the other.
0: And right now you're in two uh, geographies: Toronto and Ottawa. Yep. Do you care to release? Uh, where are you going next with Mad Radish Well, we
1: got opportunity. I mean, we're 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 discussing with franchise franchisees now. We're looking for opportunities in in everywhere, everywhere in Ontario, uh, um, mostly Ontario, um, but we'll also look at other provinces as well if the is right. But um, we're we'll really, you know, we have we have our network in Ontario, and we think we can of course open lots of stores in Ontario. So. Um, I think there's a lot of white space right now in this category, and I mean, you look at the competition, whether it's it's freshy or 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 chopped leaf, or I mean, they're all kind of like the subways of salads, right? Uh, and this is very different. We do a lot of warm ingredients, a lot of warm bowls. Um, this is this is much more gourmet fast food uh, than those brands are, and and the price points aren't much more. You know, you're you're still talking about a $15 lunch, right? So um, I think there's enormous opportunity there and, and we're, we're looking to find uh, great partners to, to help us build it and share in the success.
0: Apparently, David, running a quick service restaurant chain wasn't enough to keep you busy because this past November, you co-founded Firebelly Tea, hoping to help the hot, steep beverage reach the celebrity status of coffee we talked a little about it a little. What is Firebelly tea and how did this concept
1: come? Yeah, I mean, with Firebelly, we're really looking to elevate the tea experience. Um, I think these times call for tea. We design the product in a way where you'd want to display it on your counter and it doesn't need to be something that you just throw in a basket at the back of your, your cupboard. Um, I think that we design accessories to make it incredibly easy to make loose leaf tea with a ton of smart features as I was telling you early, earlier, we don't use any of the flavorings that are pervasive in most tea brands uh, and that hide a bunch of preservatives and solvents in their ingredient list that never get told to anybody. Um, our teas are of the highest quality. We also able to use compostable bags. Turns out that those Ziploc bags, the, uh-huh. the flavorings that I've been talking about, they actually interfere with the eco-friendly glues. So because we're not using the flavorings, we're actually one of the only tea companies to to use these these compostable Ziploc bags. Um, you know, Fire Belly is just, just incredible tea and, and tea accessories where we want to get people, we want to show people look like you can drink. This is a, an affordable luxury. I mean, you can drink the highest quality tea each and every day, make it part of your afternoon ritual, get this incredible sustained energy, great for your health, uh, have teas in the evening that help you rest and digest, help you sleep. Um, and, and it's accessible to you. And, and we want to show you how to do it. And we want to we be there for people as they, as they evolve their tea experience. I mean, like you opened with, it's the second biggest drink in the world next to water. It's just North Americans have, been, have, have not really had the opportunity, I think, to have uh, uh, and have someone guide them on this journey of, of tea, which is just this world of flavor uh, that exists out there that's that's new to us.
0: Well, as you mentioned, you're, you're not just selling tea leaves. You're selling the entire experience. So you, you it's not just leaves. You're selling accessories and products that help Absolutely. with the whole tea drinking.
1: Yeah, really high-quality teapots, travel mugs that you can stop the infusion without having to take the leaves out of, and you can make hot and iced tea in. Um, you know we designed our infuser with this holding cup so you don't end up with a puddle of water on your desk or your table after after you make your your uh your cup of tea um i i just think it's incredible i mean i i look forward i mean i of course drink a lot of tea each day but uh i i i look forward. i mean every spring and during the tea harvest i i personally buy all these uh, some of the best green and oolong teas in the world i mean oolong tea is this category of tea that sorry i'm gonna geek out on tea for a sec here <laughs> But well, like it's this category tea that like nobody even know, nobody knows about. I mean, it's it's barely it's not even a, it's not a thing in North America. But it's so tea is comes from this plant called the Camellia sinensis plant, and how you process it makes a difference. So it also has to do with the level of oxidation. So if I have an apple, I take a bite and I leave it on the counter, it turns brown. That's oxidation. To stop oxidation, you use heat. You can use a wet heat. You can use a dry heat. So these tea masters have all these different processes for. Div- for stopping the oxidation and stopping it at different times. So green tea, the oxidation stopped right away, either through a wet heat typically used in Japan uh, or a dry heat used in China. Um, and, then, and then you have black tea, which is fully oxidized and then they stop it at, at the end before it starts to decompose and turn into compost. But oolong is anywhere between 20 and 80% oxidized and you get these like roasty notes on the more oxidized ones uh, dark honey notes or fruity notes on the lighter oxidized ones buttery notes like some of the most remarkable teas in the world and they take the bigger tea leaves that are kind of lower down on the plant and they roll them uh, into different shapes and which creates different infusions as the leaf unfurls and you can infuse them multiple times and you get a different flavor every time I mean it's this whole world and category of tea that's just so new to people that is is incredible um and of course then you start to mix it with different ingredients whether it's chocolate or mint or eucalyptus or or ginger and real vanilla and i mean it's just it's endless um and and i just love the creativity of it i love i love uh, you you can spend your lifetime in tea and taste different flavors every season
0: well, your, your passion is apparent, and it's also clear it's a curation, it's an education issue. I think what's uniquely different from the business perspective about Firebelly Tea from your day tea experience is that currently the model for Firebelly is direct-to-consumer. It's all digital, powered by the Shopify e-commerce platform. This is a huge change for you.
1: I mean, yeah, it is. I mean, we actually launched our website with David's Tea before we actually had stores, believe it or not. Um, but oh. it was a very different time back then. I mean, it was 2007. Um, you know, Instagram wasn't even around. So it, it is very different. Direct to consumer is very different. Um, we're, we'll, of course, start to wholesale now to, to some key accounts. Um, and we'll grow it that way. And then eventually we may introduce a retail experience, but it would be very different from the retail experience at David's Tea. Uh, I think we would use much more of a culinary experience and, and uh, try to create uh, 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 something that combines food and tea. Um, but for now, it is direct-to-consumer and, and wholesale, and, and we're, just, we're looking to, uh, every day, enhance that e-commerce experience so that you get a real good feel for the flavors and benefits of each blend and for how each of our accessories work and, and why they're, they're the best on the market.
0: While well, being currently online only, luckily your co-founder is no slouch in this area. Shopify's president, Harley Finkelstein, presumably he can handle the e-commerce portion. What has he taught you, or what have you learned about already this this e-commerce platform for selling, rather than again having the retail experience with your customers directly?
1: I well, I mean Harley's an incredible partner, incredible entrepreneur. Um, he he uh, certainly, of course, understands e-commerce. Um, and I think for him, it's been great because he gets to see what it's like to be a customer of his own company uh, and, and learn through the eyes of one of his merchants. Um, but no, it's been great. I mean, I think Shopify is great for all merchants. Uh, they've built an incredible ecosystem of partners and and features and um, it's all there and, and you just need to do the work and, and grind it out and, and you, you keep enhancing the experience for your customers and Harley, uh, uh, Harley and I think alike in that regard we both have an unrelenting uh, uh, desire to create incredible products and, and services and experiences for customers and we like to put customers first and so we've we really we get along real well
0: I think not having bricks and mortar less infrastructure, reduces the complexity. Is bricks and mortar necessary? And I'll, I'll say that, as you know, Starbucks in particular has learned some very hard lessons. They've been downsized and they've been closing locations. You do say that you're going to possibly get into retail. Is bricks and mortar necessary today?
1: Um, I don't know that it's necessary, but I don't know that it's going away anytime soon. I think that the difference is that the store in the past was about distribution you need to have a lot of stores to distribute the store today I think is much more about discovery and I think it changes the retail paradigm a little bit um, e-commerce is about experience too of course I mean but e-commerce is you can distribute from a central location all across North America and that of course makes it less necessary to have a store uh, in smaller markets in particular um, But I think people still like to go out in the world and 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 experience things with their senses. I mean, you can't really engage your senses online. Um, So I I don't think I don't think do I think we're all going to live with a VR headset uh, uh, 24 seven and and not go out in the world. I mean, maybe we will. I don't know that I'll be alive for that, but maybe we will. Um, but I think for most people, I mean, yes, we're on our computers, we're on our phones much more than we were 10 years ago, even five years ago. But um, I, I, don't think, I don't think real world, real world experiences are going to disappear.
0: What is the importance of a subscription model when you're acquiring and keeping customers?
1: i think I think subscription is is a service, right i mean it's, it' it has to be for the benefit of everything you do has to be for the benefit of the customer at the end of the day uh, you know the, I, I always put the product first I, I'm, that's just who i am I, I I spent eighteen months developing Firebelly's assortment and product, uh, and i'm constantly evolving it and the product has to be great. people have to love the product and and that's where i you know whether it's subscription or or whether you're however you remind them or or try and become top of mind with them is, is a whole other uh, thing but they're gonna be far more receptive to any of those conveniences around buying if they love your product and I think that that's really the key for us I mean yes of course we have subscription with Firebelly and and we want to incentivize you to use it it's it's a lot easier um, there there's a lot of benefits to it but I don't know that that's the be-all and end-all. I think, I think the be-all and end-all is ensuring that we have really great reviews and that people are loving our product, which so far we've had, and, and that's very encouraging, and we only want to make it better. I mean, I'm going to measure our success on two or three years from now. Are the reviews even better? Are there teas that people fall more in love with? It? Are people even more uh, excited about our brand? And, and I think in order to do that, you just need to keep ensuring that every product that you put out there is, is truly something that, that people think is, is Is incredible that that is first class.
0: We talked about the importance of branding. I'm going to flip it though. Will you produce private label brands for other retailers? Is that of any interest to you?
1: We're always uh, open to being creative. Uh, I mean, look, we know the tea space really, really, really well. I've been doing this for a while. I have great, great uh, uh, relationships with suppliers in the business. Uh, I understand how to create teas, and I love. I love making tea and, and, I, and I have a sense now of what works, what doesn't. Um, we're always looking for partners for great partners. And if that involves doing something special with them, and if the opportunity makes sense, we're always open to that. Um, you know, I mean, I, I certainly, certainly, uh, uh, it's about getting the Firebelly brand out there and, and developing that trust with our customers. Uh, and for us that trust and that promise is sacred. And so, um, you know anything that allows us to to show people how important uh, our product and the quality is, uh, and get and get them to try it, uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna be open to.
0: Where does bubble tea fit in? Is this like uh, apples and oranges to the loose leaf tea business, or does bubble tea have a role in your business?
1: I mean, bubble tea is is apples and oranges. It's an entirely different product. It's 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 uh, more of a sugary drink. Uh, I mean, remember the teas we're selling, whether it's iced tea, whether it's, you know, strawberry iced tea or, or, or coconut mango iced tea. I mean, there's no sugar, no calories in any of our teas. Uh, you still get sweetness from the ingredients themselves. I mean, it's, it's high quality freeze dried strawberries, a real coconut piece is a real mango, right? Um, but it's different than getting bubble tea with, with tapioca pearls and, and sugar. Um, not to knock that I mean that of course has a very big market and, and just like you know Snapple does too right but it's just not my game I mean we're, we're selling something different we're selling a product that's, that's good for you and tastes great and, and has a great ritual around ritual, ritual around it and, um, and, and all the other things we've discussed today I mean it's just, just a, different, just a different, uh, different market
0: when you walk around now David David's teas out there with your cousin Herschel, you had decided you'd name the company this way. Now that you look back, are you, is it fun to have your name still up there as part of that company's name or looking back, would you say, you know what? I wish I didn't have my name in there.
1: No, I mean, my kids get a real kick out of it. I, 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 um, um, I, I'm real, again, I'm very proud. No hard feelings with David team. I'm very proud of what we did there. I think it's incredible. I think we introduced a lot of people to tea. um, and I'm just excited to continue the journey and, and with Firebelly and, and be that place that people go to and they want to elevate their tea game. And, um, and that's really where my focus is. And, and I, 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 w- I wish them well. I think it's a big market, lots of tea players. and, and um, um, Rising
0: tide raises all the
1: absolutely. I Absolutely. And I really think that's what it's about. I mean, tea is it's less than 2% of Starbucks' sales. Think about that. It's a very, very small market in North America, much smaller than it should be. Uh, and, 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 you know, we hope to, to, to increase that over the coming coming years and, and get more people into this product.
0: Huge opportunity. David, you've survived the business interrogation part of the podcast. What do you do when you're not working? What do you do for fun? <laughs> uh,
1: I, love, I love sports. I, I, I still play basketball. I get, it's getting harder to do. Uh, I exercise a lot. I meditate. I do yoga. Um, I love music. Uh, and I just, of course, I got three little kids and an and incredible wife, and I just love spending time with them.
0: Gagels. Montreal, Toronto, New York. What's the number
1: one? I'm sorry, Toronto listeners, but this is an absolute no-brainer. It's Montreal all the way. I think you all <laughs> my, know it uh, in your hearts.
0: <laughs> and my, my wife, who... Born and raised in Montreal. She's been here much longer than she ever was in Montreal. She agrees with you a thousand percent will be pleased. And that leads right into the second question. This will really test you. Leafs or Habs? Or for you, Leafs or Habs or Senators?
1: I, I, I Once again, I'm so sorry, Toronto and Ottawa listeners too. Even though I am born in Ottawa, Ottawa was not a franchise until I was older. And my parents are from Montreal and I'm a Montrealer at heart. And it's, it's go Habs all the way.
0: Can't knock you for that. In your experience, any celebrity interactions? Has anyone vouched for any of your brands over all these years? Other uh, than Oprah, of course, is a pretty big I one. mean,
1: Firebelly's very, very new, so we, we just haven't been around very long. Um, we're only seven months into it. So, uh, nothing yet, but I, I mean, on the David's T side, yeah, we had, uh, you know, whether it was Steve Nash or Robert Redford or, uh, you know, during Toronto Film Fest, they'd come in the stores um yeah we we had a we had a few of these to come in for sure
0: any good stories or interactions or
1: nothing comes Not to mind really i mean i never i never got to meet many of them um but uh i i i, I missed um i missed steve nash by by uh uh by a, a just a tiny bit um i missed howard schultz too by about you know, the, the Starbucks guy, they went in with a whole team to look at one of our stores one time. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah, I, I, not, nothing on the celebrity front. And I'm sure, I hope a Firebelly will get it out to a bunch and, and hopefully they'll love it.
0: David, now that you look back, basically 20 years since you came out of McGill, what do you tell aspiring entrepreneurs when they ask you for advice? Uh,
1: just start. I mean, you know, I think I think that... that people get too wrapped up. And my favorite is, you know, did you, I sometimes get the question, did you do a business plan? Well, no. I mean, we had back of the napkin plans, but like when you do business plans is when you have a business, you know, you start planning when you actually have something, um, before you have something, you you gotta just, you gotta go, you gotta bring it to market. You know, whatever you go to market with is never going to be exactly what it is, it's evolving constantly. There is no, there's never a moment as an entrepreneur where you're like, "There it is, voila!" Like it's it just doesn't work that way. You know, it's it's a constant grind and and, and um, uh, evolution. And if you don't love that journey, it's going to be really hard because it's changing all the time. Uh, and there's new competitors, new new customer uh, likes and dislikes. It, it just it just never stops. Um, And so you, you really do have to find joy in that process. And uh, as the years go by, actually, the more joy I actually find my, I actually find in it. I mean, I will work for as long as I live. I I love it. Uh, I love creating. I love building. Um, I love tea. And so, so, uh, you know, this is, I wake up every day and, and I remind myself that, uh, I chose this even on the bad days and and I, I I wouldn't choose any differently if I had to do it all over again.
0: Well, we should all hope for ourselves we have that same get up out of bed and excited for the day. So that's fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. As we wrap up here, David, I want to ask what are your plans for the remainder of 2022 and beyond? What are you working on now? What is next?
1: Uh, we're just getting ready for, for Christmas with Firebelly. Um, we have some new items coming up with mad radish, um, and a maple chipotle bowl that I'm really excited about with some roasted cauliflower. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just getting ready to launch more tea products with Firebelly and, and this is our busy season, right? So, um, and then hopefully take the family away around Christmas time and, and look back on the year and plan for the one to come.
0: Fantastic. And where can we best follow you and all your brands?
1: Um, you can you can follow uh, you know follow us uh, at Firebelly Tea um, on Instagram. is the best place to check us out. Uh, and visit us at FireBellyTea.ca or .com if you're in the States.
0: Great. Well, it's great having you,
1: David. Wishing you continued success. Thanks so much, Andrew. I appreciate it. It's great talking to you.
0: And to you, the listener, thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast. On behalf of David Siegel, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo.